turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at the first six verses. I want to welcome um, those of you who are in the room, welcome. Glad that you're here. I've, uh, there aren't very many of you, but I've preached to less people than this in Haiti, and so um, that's, that's okay. And uh, for those of you watching at uh, the at-home versions of our Whitestone campuses, welcome. Glad to have you all on board too. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at those first six verses, and this is what the text says. Paul wrote, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Pray with me if you would. Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. And God, I ask for your touch to be on everything that is um, said, everything I say, everything that's done in this place. Um, Lord, I, I want to speak today from my heart, from my soul, from my spirit, and uh, not from my ego. And so uh, I'm praying that you would give, um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to say um, to your church today. I pray that you would bridge the gap between us at this Boys and Girls Club and our friends watching in their homes. Um, do something supernatural. Uh, move. Um, use what's done in this place by the power of your spirit to, to change somebody today. I pray these words in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I was in the third grade before I was given an assignment at school that I didn't already know how to do. So uh, my mom was pretty diligent about doing those preparatory school workbooks with us. And so by the time I walk into kindergarten and the teacher hands out the matching worksheets, I'm like, this is no problem. You know, the seed goes with the flower. Rain goes with the clouds. Acorn goes with the trees. Where's the talented and gifted class at? You know, like this is, I've, uh, uh, this is my first rodeo. I have, uh, I've seen these things before. And then uh, move on into first grade. And first grade teacher starts teaching basic reading skills. And before first grade, my mom had already taught me how to read. And so I'm sitting in the class, and, you know, there's a kid over there talking about the red bus. And I'm like, Roger, it says the red bus, dude. I mean, come on, what, what, what are you doing? I was kind of a, a snarky little kid, you know, like a cocky kid. I was, I was the kind of kid that thought that all the teachers loved me, but secretly they all hated me. And then in second grade, it's uh, advanced uh, addition and subtraction, which still I had done that in those workbooks. I had no problem with it. And so uh, the problem comes out. It's like 1,911 minus 899. That's 1,012. You all can check my work if you want to, but I don't think it's necessary because the second grade version of me was a mathematical genius. 
Then came third grade. Third grade was a different story. My teacher in third grade, his name was Mr. Flatford, and I'll never forget this day because honestly, it was a pretty traumatic experience to me. But he's handing out the worksheets and he puts one on my desk. And um, what I know now uh, to be multiplication and division, at the time, I had never seen those signs before. And so this whole concept looked completely foreign to me. Apparently, Dorothy Tharp had forgot to pick up that workbook at the Walmart. And so uh, this worksheet lands on my desk. And uh, when I see these signs uh, that I've never seen, I immediately begin to cry. And I'm not talking about like the big tears, you know, like the welling, weeping kind of tears. I'm talking about like the anxious kind, the the really nervous kind. And my teacher was pretty tuned into the situation and he walked over to where I was and he's like, Brock, what's wrong? And, uh, and I looked up at him and I said, Mr. Flatford, I'm sorry, but I've never seen problems like this before. Now, church, if I'm honest with you, when I look at the last couple of months, uh, I have felt an awfully lot like that third grade version of me. Like as we continue to walk through this pandemic and these unprecedented days and just all the, the strangeness of it, my emotions are completely in flux. I mean, it's like I have experienced very high highs, very low lows, sometimes within the same few minutes. My anxiety is certainly heightened. Uh, my heart is anxious. My mind is racing. And tears aren't very far off. And if one of you were to come up to me during this season and say to me, Brock, what's wrong? I might say to you the same thing that I said to Mr. Flatford 30 years ago. I'd say, I'm sorry, but I've never seen problems like this before. And the, the thing for me, it's, it's not that I'm afraid of dying or that I'm afraid of getting sick myself. It's, it's really not. I can honestly say, along with the Apostle Paul, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, the questions that keep me up at night are, you know, how am I supposed to take care of my family during this season? Like, what's that look like? What does it look like to pastor people well when you're not physically allowed to be around them? Like, how am I supposed to live out the call of Christ on my life from isolation. And the truth is, church, I don't have answers to these questions because I never worked through that workbook. I'm sorry, but I've never, I've never seen problems like this before. You know, that day, Mr. Flatford, he leaned in to, to where I was and he whispered to me. And he said to me, uh, Brock, you don't need to worry. I'll teach you how to do this. We'll get through these together. Brock, you don't need to worry. I'll teach you how to do this. We'll get through these together. And church, when I'm in a healthy place, like when I'm in a good place, a righteous place, I believe I can hear that same thing being whispered to me from heaven. I think I can hear the Spirit saying the exact same thing. Brock, you don't need to worry. I'll teach you how to do this. We'll get through this together. Now, I have some things that I want to say to you this morning, church. Uh, some things that I believe I'm supposed to say. Some 
Uh, while I know that I don't have any answers when it comes to you know, solving this thing, there are some lessons that I've learned that I think can be helpful in seasons like this one. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share with you a couple of lessons that I've learned and then a couple of lessons from the Ephesians text or a couple of lessons from the Apostle Paul. And so if it's helpful for you, you can look at it like this. My words will be the appetizer. What Paul has to say will absolutely be the main course. But before we get into that, I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to say this. If at this time you feel like your anxiety is especially heightened like me, if your lack of control in this situation has you feeling paralyzed physically, spiritually, emotionally, if you feel all alone in your fear and your despair, then church, hear me say this, you don't need to worry. God will teach us how to do this. We will get through this together. My brothers and sisters, you do not need to worry. God will teach us how to do this. We will get through this together. Child of God, you don't need to worry. God will teach us how to do this. We will get through this together. Faithful our God has been, faithful he is and faithful he will forever be. So two lessons from me, and then two from the Apostle Paul. Lesson number one, in times like this, instead of looking for ways out, look for God in. Instead of looking for ways out, look for God in. Oswald Chambers once said this in his book on spiritual maturity. He said, Christians must get away from the idea that deliverance from trials is the highest form of spiritual blessing. You know, a lot of people want to rush through the wilderness, rush through the difficult times, rush through the dark days, and I can't say that I blame them. I think for most of us, it's our initial urge when we find ourselves in difficult seasons to cry out to God and say, God, please get me out of this. But for believers, I think the better prayer for us would be, God, where are you in this. Because here's the thing, church, once you find God in the midst of your wilderness, once you find God in the midst of the dark days, once you find God in the midst of isolation, you won't be so worried about finding a way out. You no longer need a map once you're with the map maker. Something about being in the presence of God and the bright light of his glory blinds us to our circumstances. Church, we know to be true what most people don't, and that is it is better for us to be with God in the midst of a pandemic than to be without him in a season of relative peace. Listen to me today, friends. Before you look for the exit, make sure you've learned the lessons. Before you look for the way out, look for the way himself. The Bible tells Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What I'm asking you to do this morning, church, is don't waste this wilderness. Instead of immediately in prayer going, God, get me out of this, say, God, where are you in this? Because the Bible tells us that the presence of God is our good. Not the absence of hostility, but his presence. That is our goodness. Lesson number one, in times like these, instead of looking for ways out, look for God in. Lesson number two, again from me. It's okay to talk back to the dark. 
it's okay to talk back to the dark. You know, I think many of us were taught from a pretty young age that we were supposed to be afraid of the dark, like to hide from it, to avoid it. My mom used to say nothing good happens after dark. In literature, sometimes Satan is referred to as the prince of darkness. And I don't know about you all, but in this season, personally, I have heard the darkness calling out to me. Like, I've, I've heard the whispers from the shadows. And at least for me, and maybe it's been different for you, but at least for me, it sounded often, it sounded something like this. It was, Brock, you don't need to worry about other people right now. Just take care of you and yours. Brock, there's no hope. The way things are now is the way that they're always going to be. Brock, you, you never needed all these other people to begin with. Just isolate and indulge. Isolate and indulge. This is a season for pleasure, not pastures. Church, that, that's, what, that's what the darkness has been saying to me. I ask you this morning, you know, what, what are the whispers that you're hearing from the shadows? If you're watching online right now on, on a site that allows you to, to comment, I would ask you to do that. I'd ask you to write in. If you're hearing some voices from, from the darkness, some lies from the evil one, I would love it if you would comment those and put them on there. And I'm asking you to do that for, for two reasons. One, I want to know that I'm not the only one hearing this stuff. And two, because I think we'll find that we're hearing pretty much the same stuff. Because one of the things that I've learned uh, about the evil one over the years is that he is much more consistent than he is creative. Now, I want you to listen to me for a moment, church. If, if, you, tune, if you tune me out, tune back in for a second, because I think this is really important. I think it is okay for us to have a healthy fear of the dark, but I need you all to know we are not powerless against it. When the darkness whispers to us our problems, we need to shout back into it God's promises. Maybe nobody ever told you this, but the darkness isn't your mom and dad like you can and should talk back to it. In the kingdom of God, darkness never has the last word. And if, if you don't have some of your own ammunition, I want to give you some tools, some bullets this morning that you can use whenever you hear the whispers. What I'm about to share with you now are some verses that I've taken and personalized. And I'm asking you to take these, put them in your toolbox. When you begin to hear those whispers, shout these back to the darkness. Verse number one, Hebrews 13, 5. I am not alone. My God will never leave me or forsake me. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, I will never turn my back on my people because I know my good is tightly woven with the good of my community. Isaiah 43, 2, when I pass through the waters, God is with me, and the waves don't overwhelm me, and when I walk through the fire, I won't be burned. Romans 8, 28, and Genesis 50, 20, and this one goes straight to the prince of darkness himself. Listen, Satan, I know you have meant this season for evil, but what you mean for evil, my God makes useful. Psalm 23, 4, I'm aware that the darkness is closing in, but I don't fear it. 
Because even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my God is with me and his rod and his staff comfort me. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7, my God is good. And in times like these, he is my refuge. Psalm 91.1, because I dwell in the shelter of the Most High, I am safe in the, in the shadow of the Almighty, which means when I see the darkness closing in, it doesn't mean that evil is about to win. It means my protector has come. Church, this is how we fight our battles. We combat the voices with the verses, the problems with the promises, the evil words with our beautiful worship. Take these verses, put them in your toolbox. If you ever need to use them, feel free to pull them out. And if you've got some verses that you've been using during this season that you have found especially helpful for you, I'd ask you to comment those as well. Put those in the comments under the sermon today because you may have some tools in your toolbox that other people need to be using in this season. I think part of spiritual maturity is learning that we don't have to cower in the face of darkness, but we can push back against it. You are, after all, church, the light of the world, and a city on a hill won't be hidden. You know, we're taught to fear the darkness, but it's also in the dark that we rest and that we dream. And so, Part of what I hope is happening here, both in the life of our church and in the life of all y'all people watching in the room and those of you who are watching at home, is I'm praying that we would come out of this thing with new vision and with new dreams, that we would walk through the other side of it rested and renewed and ready for revival. Lesson number two from me, it's okay to talk back to the dark. That was two for me, now these are two from Paul. Lesson number three. Whatever it is you do, keep doing it. Whatever it is you do, keep doing it. Eugene Peterson translates Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 in this way. This is what he wrote. He says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Paul in prison and isolation writes a letter to his friends and he essentially says, he's like, he's like look, uh, we, we have more work in front of us now than we've ever had. He's like, now's not the time to be lazy. There's still work to do. You need to be about the Lord's business. The idea being, if you're not using your gifts, you're going to lose your gifts. He said, don't, don't just, at a time like this, he's like, don't just sit on your hands and watch as your life begins to fade down a pathway of self-indulgence and self-absorption. But he goes, no, I want you to not walk, but run down the path that God has called you to travel. This is how I think this might apply to us today, church. Whatever it is ministry-wise that you did before this thing started, keep doing it. Whatever it is you do, keep doing it. You say, Brock, what does that even mean? Well, th this is what I mean. If you make blankets, keep making them. 
If you bake pies, keep baking them. If you write poems, keep writing them. If you teach kids, keep teaching them. If you play music, keep playing it. If you paint, keep painting. If you lead a small group, keep leading it. If you are a nurse, keep nursing. I don't mean it like that, exactly, nursing. Like keep, <laughs> keep taking care of other people is what I'm getting at. Y'all get what I'm saying here. Now is not the time to neglect your gifts or to neglect your skills. It's a time to hone them, to, to guard them, to protect them. Like, just because we're in isolation, it doesn't mean that ministry isn't still happening. Isolation doesn't nullify mission. We're in a series right now that we started last week called Intermission, Intermission with an I. I would argue that intermission is a great time to intermission with an E. Why? Because even in isolation, people still need blankets and pies and poems. Like Paul said in the text, find ways to pour yourselves out for each other in love. Here's what I'm thinking, church. If God can make it possible for me and Mark to still be able to preach into your home and for Cody and Kenzie and the band to continue to be able to share their gifts with you, then I am confident by the power of the Holy Spirit that he can also give you creative ways to use and share your gifts in this season as well. Lesson number three is whatever it is you do, keep doing it. And here's the last one, second one from the Apostle Paul. Lesson number four, more mercy. More mercy. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 2, that we are to bear with one another in love. Paul knew that relationships are complicated. They're difficulty. They're messy. Why? Because you're broken and I'm broken. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. It's why I think Paul chose to use the Greek word here, anhome, which at least that's how you say it in Mainville. I don't know how the real educated people say it, but that's how they say it, anhome. And anhome literally means to put up with. So Paul, in this text, he's urging the Ephesians. He's like, for the sake of the gospel, I want you to put up with one another in love. Now, I don't know about you all, but for me, that is very practical and pertinent information at the moment. I mean, when you are, are stuck in the same home with the same six people doing pretty much the, the, the same thing every single day, there's a lot of putting up with going on. You know, right now in my house, like, I feel like all I can hear is the sound, that chomping sound of people eating pretzels, like chomp, 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 and people slurping their drinks, like every drink, that's what it sounds like. I said like five different times over the course of this thing, I've watched Langston walk up to our fridge and drink water out of the nozzle that comes out of the front of the fridge. Like he's able just to walk up to it and he's the perfect size and his chin hits the little thing and he touches it and then the water just flows right there in his mouth. I mean, it's a great way to, to quench his thirst. It also might be how the coronavirus started. You know, I, I don't... And don't, and don't get me wrong, like, I know they're having to put up with me, too. You know, it, it has been, it's been said about me before that I can be moody. The, the, big, gog, the big gog's got some quirks, too, they're having, to, they're having to put up with. You know, 
Mark told us last week that Paul wrote the letter to the people, the church in Ephesus. He wrote it to them uh, from prison. And while he's in chains and they are still free, I think Paul knew that he was writing to people who were on edge, people who were anxious, people who were nervous, because in their minds, they're wondering, you know, if something happens to Paul, he's the one that led us to Christ. If something happens to our leader, who else is going to lead? And then once somebody does decide to lead, is the same thing that happened? Is the same? Is Paul's fate going to be all of our fates? Like, are we eventually, are we soon going to all of us be in shackles? And that's why I think Paul in this text, you know, Paul normally wrote very romantically, very poetically. His language was almost always very sophisticated. Like you can think about 1 Corinthians uh, 13 when uh, Paul says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. Love never dies. Here in Ephesians, in the midst of the crisis, Paul is like, forget all that. Can, can y'all please just put up with each other a little bit? Like, can you at least figure out how to show each other a little more grace, a little more love, a little more mercy? You know, sometimes following Jesus, I think, looks like feeding hungry kids in Haiti. And sometimes it just looks like putting up with your own kid. Sometimes it looks like being a little more patient with your spouse. A little more patient with your coworkers, a little more patient with yourself. This is what I'd like to ask you to do, and I'm almost finished. Where, where, wherever you are, if you would, I'm going to ask you just to stand with me and to put your hands out, palms up. And I'm going to pray for you right now, in, in ready to receive position. And, I, and I'm going to pray for you that God would grant you a little more mercy at this time, because I think we're all pretty desperate. For it. So I'm going to pray over you where, you where you are. Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. And God, these are weird days and we recognize that. We, we haven't seen problems like this before. And we trust that you're with us and that you're guiding us through it. But I pray for my friends now who are watching at home. I'm, I'm praying for those with their hands lifted, ready to receive. I'm praying right now that you would give them a little more mercy. Place it in their hands, not just in their hands, but in their hearts. Let it go down into their depths. Let them dig a little deeper into the well of your love and grace and mercy so that they have a little bit more to give. And in these very tender and problem-filled days, let them be more merciful, more graceful. Show us what it looks like for us to better put up with each other for the sake of the gospel, to put up with each other for your grace, for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Four lessons for dark times. Lesson number one, instead of looking for ways out, look for God in. Lesson number two, it's okay to talk back to the dark. Lesson number three, whatever it is you do, keep doing it. And lesson number four, more mercy. Church, allow me to remind you one more time today, you don't need to worry. God will teach us how to do this, and we will get through this together. Grace and peace.